morning's scripture reading will be from 2 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That's 2 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And if you're following along in your pew Bible, that'll be on page 1085. The elder to the elect, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Son of the Father, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Good morning. So a couple of weeks ago, the staff had uh, our annual Christmas party. And so we went out to eat and, and being the newcomer, I didn't really know much about that night, but all I knew is that I was supposed to be at Demas's at six o'clock. So that's what I was going to do. I was going to be at Demas's at six o'clock. And so I come into work that day and, and one of the secretaries, I won't say any names, but Tammy was off that day. <laughs> and so I come in and she says, Hey, I don't think we've told you yet, but we have an ugly sweater competition every year. And so I said, okay, well, I don't have one, but I'll try to find one. And so throughout the day, I started asking like Wayne and, and I don't think Tim was there, but Philip and Lauren and some others. I was, you got your Christmas sweater for tonight? Yeah, 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 I got it. Well, as you can see on the next, on the next slide, <laughs> everyone else forgot theirs. I show up and I'm the only one wearing it, but here's where it gets really bad. I'm, I'm, I'm a tightwad, so I didn't want to go buy a Christmas sweater that I was going to wear one time. So I borrowed it from Bailey's closet. That's the first thing. Number two, it was like really, really sparkly and really, really glittery. And number three, it has three kitty cats on the front. So, you know, it, it is whatever. I work with some, some really good people, but that was a really good joke that I was just on the receiving end of. Uh, it, was, it was fun. But I will tell you, I won, I won first place. 2016 Christmas sweater winner right here. So This week we're going to have some time to, to celebrate with family. We're going to have time to enjoy each other's company. And as I began to think about this lesson, as I began to, to think about the, the direction that I wanted to go, I thought about throughout the course of this week, there are going to be many presents opened and there are going to be many small items that we don't think are important. And so we might throw them away. For instance, that new sweater you get that, that a little piece of paper is taped on the box, but you don't really care about that. So you just throw away the box and you try on the sweater and it doesn't fit. Guess what you threw away? The receipt. And then you may get some, some toys or you, some assembly may be required. And so you get the toys out and you see all the instruction manual, but who uses those, you know? And so you, you put that to the side and you start trying to work on it and, and things don't go that great. And so you've got to go back to that little bitty piece of paper that all of a sudden becomes important. And then we have the warranties. You may not think those are that important until the item stops working and we have to go back to that little bitty piece of paper to see if we, if we can return it or if it's covered. I think sometimes we overlook small things because we don't think they're all that important. And when we look at the book of 2 John, I, 
I personally have not spent a lot of time in 2 John, and, and I don't know if that's because most of the content that we read in 2 John is found in 1 John, but I think it's just a book that, that we skip over a lot of times. But I think as we look at it this morning, we'll understand that if we take time to look at this small book, 13 verses, there is a lot that we can learn from this book. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 John. 2 John. And we'll start in verse 1. We're going to go through this, this text. And I'm going to point out three major words, three major themes that I think that he hits on. And if I'm honest with myself, this lesson just continually and continually got at me more. Because I understand and I realize that these are three words that I need to focus on a whole lot more. Verse 1, the, the, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Very early on, there's, there's a term there that we may not know what it means. We understand that the elder is, is referencing John, the, the writer, but the elect lady... Who is the elect lady that John is writing to in this instance? Among scholars and theologians today, there's really two major views as to, to who this elect lady is. And the first one comes from just a very natural reading of the text. And many suggest and many, many believe that this is just a beloved sister in Christ whom John is writing to and has a lot of respect for. That's the very natural reading and one that, that just appears that, that a lot of people believe. But then there's a second one. That, that many people believe that this was written to, to an entire congregation. And this is kind of the, the view I lean more towards. And it's not that big of a deal that we'll talk about in a second. But here's just a few, a few facts for you. The Greek word ekklesia, the Greek word for church. In the Greek language, there's, there's nouns and, and they're in a, a, a masculine, a feminine, or a neuter form. And so the, the word for church is actually a feminine noun. And so it wouldn't be uncommon for John to reference the church in regards to a female. Elsewhere in John's writings in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2 and in verse 9 and then later on in chapter 22 and verse 17, John actually references the church as the bride of Christ. And so this is a familiar theme in John's writings and then also the Greek word for lady can also refer to a social subunit. And so in a Greek city-state, this social subunit that outsiders and insiders may view very well could be the church. And then the last thing is, is I think in verse 13 where it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. It just, it makes sense for John to write that if he's saying the members of this congregation are greeting you over there. And like I said, regardless of who this letter was written to, regardless of who the message was written to, the message stays the same. And that's what we're going to find out in verse 4. John says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. John rejoiced. And it's a question that I need to ask myself and a question that I want you to ask yourself this morning is how much time do you spend rejoicing? 
How much time do you spend rejoicing over the things that we have and, and the things that happen to us? Because I think we all know that the natural response, that the easiest thing to do is not to rejoice, but to complain and to be negative. I was reminded of this simple point just Thursday. I've been having some car trouble and, and I know nothing about cars. And so it came to the point where it wasn't starting. It was, it was going out on me. And so I knew I needed to take it to the car shop. And so Bailey worked on that, that night. And so she was going to be getting off at seven o'clock that morning. So I said, hey, if you'll just meet me at the car shop, I'll leave it there. We can go home and then you can take me back later. And so that's what we we're going to do. And so I wake up that morning and, and granted, it's the coldest morning that we've had all year. And so I go outside and I try to, to start my car and nothing happens. And so instead of giving it a second, I just continue and continue, continue. So my battery dies. And so I call Bailey and I say, hey, just come on home. It's not starting. I'm going to have to jump it off. And so she gets home and, and I hook up the jumper cables and my jumper cables don't work. So I have to come to the office and borrow some. And I go back and it turns out to be the starter. So jumper cables were not doing anything. And so I'm pretty frustrated at this point and I go inside and she just says, hey, just remember, we're pretty blessed to have two cars. I don't spend enough time rejoicing. And see, what's, what's curious to me in this passage is the language that John uses. He says, I rejoice greatly. Why is he rejoicing? To find some of your children walking in the truth. What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful image it is. Just as David talked about last week, for all of us in here, when we leave here today and we go back to work tomorrow, for us to go and to walk and to live the Christian life. You see, John isn't just rejoicing over people who claim to live the Christian life. He isn't just rejoicing over people who claim to be a Christian, but instead he's rejoicing over those who walk it every single day. I think there are three qualities of a person who genuinely and truly walks the Christian life. And that first word is everyone. You see, a, a person who, who truly walks the Christian life, it doesn't matter who they're around. It doesn't matter if, if they're around their coworkers. It doesn't matter if they're around their family. It doesn't matter around if they're around their, their friends from high school. It doesn't matter if they're by themselves. They walk the Christian life in front of everyone. Not only do they walk the Christian life in front of everyone, but they walk the Christian life everywhere. At school, at home, at work, at church, out in the community, as you're driving behind the steering wheel of your car, it doesn't matter where they are, they're going to walk the Christian life. Everyone, everything, and everything. Everyone, everywhere, and everything. And that's where it gets tough. That's where it gets tricky because it's easy for us to rejoice when God grants our prayers. It's easy for us to rejoice when great things are happening in life, but that is not the entire story of the Bible. As a matter of fact, we have many instances where we're told to rejoice. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, we're, we're told to rejoice in persecution. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, we're told to rejoice in suffering. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, we're told to rejoice in hope. 
In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, we're told to rejoice in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, we're told to rejoice always. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, we're told to rejoice in the salvation that we have. You see, John isn't just, just saying here, hey, I am rejoicing because of people just claiming to live the Christian life. He is genuinely rejoicing because he sees people living it. In front of everyone, everywhere, and in everything. The good, the bad, the blessings, the suffering, the positive, the negative, they live it. I can't help but to think about, about the story of Job. And in Job chapter 2 and verse 10, where, where he says, Are we to receive good from God and not the bad? We must rejoice. Let's pick up in verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. It appears as if John is, he puts this part of, of the letter into the writing because there were some disagreements. There was some discord. There was the unity of the brethren at this congregation had been broken. That never happens today, does it? We never say things to our brothers that, that we shouldn't. We never act like we shouldn't. We never, we never covet. We never, we never do any of that, do we? I think we all know we're human and we're going to fall short. But what John says is, is he's not coming to them saying, hey, I know that you've, you've tried everything that, that I've commanded you. I know that you've, you've tried everything that you've been taught and it didn't work. So, so here's a new commandment that I'm going to give you. That's not what John does at all. Instead, John says two times. He uses the word beginning. He says, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning. And then he says in verse six, and this is love that we walk according to whose commandment? His commandment. And this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning. The commandment has never changed. The solution has never changed. The way that, that we bring unity in our families has never changed. The way that we bring unity in our workplace has never changed. The way that we bring unity into our relationships and, and into our community and, to, and into this church and into this state, into this country, into this world, it's never changed. We've heard it from the beginning and that is exactly what John is telling the audience here. The solution is love. And he doesn't just say in, this, in this, this text, he doesn't reference many commandments. He doesn't use the plural form. He uses the singular term commandment. And I can't help but to think he's talking about John chapter 13. Go with me to John chapter 13. Let's look at verse 31, John chapter 13 and verse 31. It says, and when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified 
and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am still with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But this is what he says. A, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's nothing new, but it works just as good today as it ever has before, and that is love. Jesus doesn't say that people will know you are my disciples by, by just going to church or, or by claiming to be a Christian. This indicates that perhaps people could, could know we are a follower of Jesus Christ without ever saying a word by simply serving other people in love. The Bible is very clear that that if we love God, we must love our neighbor. And I'm afraid that, that maybe sometimes I have fallen into this category, and maybe you have found yourself falling into this category, where, where we say, yeah, we love God. Yes, I, I serve Him, I worship Him. But then on this other side, we sometimes really struggle with the fact of loving other people. If we love God, we love other people. And it, it could go vice versa. If we don't love other people, we don't love God. Love. And let's pick up in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or greet him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Rejoice, love, and watch. And what John does here in this passage is he breaks it up into two different categories. And the first way that he breaks it up is, is notice in verse 8 he says, watch yourself. He says, watch yourselves. Why do we watch ourselves? Well, he answers the, the question right after it. So that you may not lose what we have worked for. He says, stay on guard, stay alert, watch yourself so that you don't lose what you've worked for. You've worked so hard to get this far and continue to watch, continue to stand on guard so that you don't lose it. Well, the question we have this morning is, is we ask, well, how do we avoid losing what we have worked for? Let's go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six.
Let's look at verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. If I'm just honest with you this morning, I don't know exactly what this is talking about, but I do know one thing. That sin is everywhere and we cannot defeat it on our own. I think we, we have this mentality sometimes, and, and not that this mentality is bad at all, but we have this mentality that, that if we see sin, we need to flee. If, if we know that, that sin is going to be over here, we need to avoid it at all costs. We don't need to get anywhere close to sin. And that's not a bad principle at all, but I do know this. It doesn't matter if you're in a group with 200,000 people, sin will be there. It doesn't matter if you're in a group with, with 200 people, sin will be there. It doesn't matter if you're, you're just with one other person, sin will be there. It doesn't even matter if you're completely by yourself, sin will be there. There comes a time in our lives where we must say, I'm going to refuse to just flee from sin and I'm going to stand up to it and I'm going to defeat it. That's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians Right after verse 12, he says this, Therefore, because of all of the things that we're fighting, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Do you remember what James says in James chapter 4 and verse 7? He says... Resist the devil. Resist the devil and what? The devil will flee from you. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't it beautiful to think about, hey, if instead of us fleeing, if we'll stand firm, if we'll put on the whole armor of God, it won't be us that's fleeing from sin. It'll be Satan that's fleeing from us. And when we think about the context of this passage, Paul is in prison writing this letter. And many scholars are, are, are firmly, they're firm believers in the fact that Paul would have been looking at a Roman guard as he was writing this letter. And what's interesting as we think about the attire of, of Roman soldiers is that all of the, the armor that they had, if the battle was right there and they were standing firm, they would be covered. But you've seen pictures of ancient armory. What happens if you turn your back? You're exposed. The Christian journey, the Christian battle has never been about us just fleeing in, in because we're scared. We have the word of God. We have God on our side. We can stand firm and face sin. We stand up to sin. But then there's a, a different aspect. Not only do we stand up to sin, but we stand in the Lord. I think about Psalm chapter 119, verse 89, where, where the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, is your word fixed firmly in the heavens. Why do we stand in the Lord? Well, because his word has always been, it still is, and it will always be. And because of that, God has always been victorious. He is victorious, and he always will be victorious. If we stand in the Lord... We have nothing to worry about and only rejoice. 
I was telling my cocoon this a, a couple of Wednesdays ago that, that when I think about this concept, I can't help but to think about learning to water ski. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to ski or if you ski regularly, but, but there was one day where my dad skis and, and young boys always want to be like their dads. And so I wanted to learn to ski. And there was a different aspect why I, le- why I wanted to learn to ski. I was the youngest son. And so I always got beat up and I always got beat in games. But there was one thing that my other two brothers couldn't do. They couldn't ski. So I wanted to learn to, to have an edge on them. And so we go out to the, the lake and it's just me and my dad. And so he gets... I think it was a jet, I think he got on the jet ski. He got on the jet ski and I got in the water. I had the rope and I had, I had the two skis on. And so what you do is, is, is you put the rope in between your legs and you bend your knees. And when he guns it, you just hold on. But here's the natural reaction. Here's what you try to do at first is right when the boat takes off, you try to stand up by yourself. It's just natural. You try to pull yourself up out of the water and you fall. And there's a different aspect to skiing that's really difficult is right when the boat takes off, all of the water pressure, it just comes and it kind of hits you in the face. And so when you try to stand up on on your own, the water hits you in the face and so you just let go to avoid it. And so that day I... I didn't get up many, many times in a row because every single time I would try to pull myself up and the water would hit me in the face. He'd come back around, give me the rope again and again and again. Water hit me in the face. I I would try to pull up and I'd let go. And my dad comes around one more time and I will never forget what he said. He said, son, we're going to try this one more time. He said, you're either going to hold on to the rope and let the boat pull you up or you try to pull yourself up let go and you'll never learn to ski. When we think about our Christian lives, that principle rings true clearer today than it ever has before. When we try to get out of the low times in life, when we try to pull ourselves up from all of the things that are going on around us, when we pull ourselves up, stuff continues to hit us. Bad things continue to hit us. And so what do we finally do? We can't take it anymore, and so we just let go. But if we will stand in the Lord, if we will hold on to God, it may not get better right then. Things may continue to happen, and, and, and life may continue to hit us in the face, but I can tell you this, and one thing I am certain of because God has told us, that He will always pull us through if we will just hold on to him. We must watch ourselves. And then he closes this passage in verse 10 and 11 by warning the congregation to watch for others. When we look at at the reading of this text, it, it may seem as if John is warning this audience to to abstain from from sinners. It may look as if he's, he's telling people to not even greet sinners, but, but that's not what he's talking about here in this passage. It, is This is a clear indication to, to incoming preachers and incoming missionaries. And what's interesting about the phrase, do not greet them in your house, for the first century Christians, where did they meet to worship? In people's houses. 
And so this would not be uncommon at all for this language to occur. But, but here's what he says, and, and this is paralleled in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, where Paul writes that there is going to come a time when people do not endure sound, doc, endure sound doctrine, but with itching ears, they accumulate passions and they pursue people who will tend to those passions. Here's what John is saying. You need to watch for others. You need to watch for others because you need to be careful about who you listen to. And that is so true for us today. It's so easy for us to look to people who, who we have a great deal and a great amount of respect for and just take them for their word. But can I tell you this this morning? That if the people that we listen to if it's not coming from this book right here, it doesn't matter. We've got to watch ourselves and we've got to watch for others so that we don't lose the thing that we've worked so hard to obtain. And in closing, I want us to go back to the first part of this writing. And I want us to look at verse 2 and verse 3 and the lesson will be yours. Verse 2, I want us to be reminded of something so beautiful and something that we should rejoice for. Because of the truth, he references the truth and listen to the two characteristics that he gives it. Because of the truth that one abides in us and two will be with us forever. How blessed we are to have the truth. And then listen to what he says in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Grace, mercy, and peace. Do you have those three things this morning? Do you have the grace of God? Do you have the mercy of God? Do you have this morning the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? How do we obtain it? The passage is very clear. It's from God. Well, how do we get to God? We get to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the watery graves of baptism. This morning, I hope that this has been a reminder to us that we need to continue to rejoice. We need to continue to love and we need to continue to watch. Maybe you're struggling with that aspect this morning. Or maybe this morning you understand and you realize that you're ready to have the grace and mercy and peace of God the Father through Jesus Christ.